Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and mental wellness. We are so glad you're tuning in with us. Michael has returned from the world of academia a new man, and so we're celebrating by picking up on anxiety around reentry. What does church look like now that we're approaching post-pandemic life, and what lessons should we take from this past season? The gang is finally back together to discuss this topic. Here are Michael McCord, Evan DeYoung, and Lindsay Geist. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone Podcast, the podcast with three hosts this week. We are so excited to have Michael McCord back. Michael, welcome. Woohoo! Welcome back! Thank you, guys. I missed you both very much over the last couple of weeks, but glad to be back. This is where we'll insert some dramatic fanfare where we officially congratulate Dr. McCord. That's correct. I, you, please, from now on, whenever in this podcast you're referring to me, please say Dr. McCord. Not that kind of doctor, but, you know, an education doctor. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll hear, we'll hear more about, we'll hear Every more about <laughs> your doctorate in, in a later episode. So as don't, well, but... don't call you if, you know, like somebody needs their life saved. Um, I mean, I guess theologically. If you somebody needs their I, life saved, spiritually, their soul saved. If, if I am trained in CPR, so I, I mean, you know, is it current though? <laughs> well, is anything current after the pandemic? <laughs> is that the question? <laughs> Never good virtu- when you have to answer a question with a question. Can you <laughs> take virtual CPR right now? Surely, I, I'm sure they figured some way to do that. Huh. Okay. Anyway, I, I thought I, I always learned something new from y'all. <laughs> here's, here's what you're going to learn new about CPR. Don't forget, the best rhythm to do chest compressions to CPR is staying alive. Correct. Bah, 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 stay alive. <laughs> it's perfect. You can't see it, but we're, we're, I'm miming uh, CPR oh, to my goodness. webcam, and Michael every, is dancing. So Every person that's listening to this, um, this is what you get when the three of us are back together again. Um, we're a little loopy, and we clearly have missed each other. And there was much rejoicing. Michael, how was the dissertation defense? Tell us just a short, give us a three-word summary. You only three, get words? three words? You only get three <laughs> words. That actually summarizes it, because you take, uh, you know, uh, many thousands of words of research and writing and three years of your life and then try to put it into 20 minutes um, is like trying to have ask a preacher like myself to put anything into three words. So what are your three words? It is done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. I'll take that as a uh, a homage to Jesus uh, when he said it is finished. It is finished. That's right. Uh, Well, I I didn't want to have to quote and cite that reference. So I just. That would have been more than three words. That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we're thrilled to have you back and thrilled to have everyone listening this week. Thanks for joining us as we jump back into our episode on anxiety around reentry. Episode two which is where we're at today. So we're going to be talking about anxiety around reentry. We're going to get to hear some of Michael's thoughts around just what it's going to be like to come back to new normal as Michael puts on a mask. Uh, I did read a tweet that said, it's 2024, you find an old jacket, you reach into your pocket, and there's a mask inside, and you think to yourself, that was a weird year plus. (laughs) I think that they're going to be around for lots of winners to come. Listen, I tell you, 
my family did not get any kind. We didn't have upper respiratory infections. We didn't have stomach virus this year. Of course, now I say this and it's recorded and we will get all of them next week. Yes, correct. You know, no flu, virtually no flu this year. It's uh, it's like, man, this is um, uh, this maybe we should wear masks, at least for like the fall and winter season. Uh Yeah, maybe we should upend our entire society and economy. (laughs) It keeps your face warm, too. That's yeah. true. Went to a baseball game this week, and I wore my mask the whole time just simply to keep me warm. Mm-hmm. So they also have another device called a scarf. <laughs> it's, it's like a very same. long mask. <laughs> not the same wrapping it around your face. Oh, it is going to be really um, socially hard to kind of come back into certain uh, things that we thought were normal before and then things that have become normal now. I mean, it's going to be challenging for me if we get to a place where people say, like, we don't have to wear masks again. Um, That's coming. Because I am on autopilot uh, now. If you like, come to Gwinnett County, it's already been already done. <laughs> I'm, ta- I'm talking about when the CDC recommends something for us mm. and says that we're at a place where we don't have to wear masks. Again, it's like grabbing my wallet and my keys on the way out the door. Wallet, keys, always check for sunglasses and a mask. And I have Mm -hmm. a mask in like every part of my house, in every purse that I have, in my car. Um, Early on in the pandemic, I forgot a mask and needed to run into the gas station. And I had my golf bag. So instead of pulling my shirt up over my face, I took my nasty golf towel (laughs) with a clip and wrapped it around my face. (laughs) <laughs> and that was uh oh, and that taught you your lesson right there to then have a mask in every coat pocket that's exactly between it. between now and the end of time that's exactly it i think the cdc missed out on a big opportunity for april fools to kind of do some of those like uh do-it-yourself health tips things you know have you ever seen the thing where it's like you put an onion in your sock while you sleep and it you sucks out have the april toxins. fools that because people are way too susceptible. I, I think they should have said stuff. You, you need to wear goggles to protect your eyes. <laughs> I think it would have been funnier if they said something like uh, put celery sticks in your mask and they'll soak up the toxins. And so then you just see who wears celery sticks inside their mask. Maybe maybe inf- misinformation coming from the government is not funny. It's not funny at all. Yeah. And we're going to move on. Uh, so <laughs> as we look at our second episode of anxiety around reentry. Well, I just encouraged uh, what so should be I your went, most... <laughs> I went to church. I went what? to physical indoor church this week for the first time what? in over a year. What is that? <clears throat> yeah. Okay, now... Yeah, what, tell us about it. What was that like? Because I I haven't even gone to parking lot worship yet because all of the churches nearby um, were not offering that. I haven't either so, because I now watch church on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why we put it off for so long, because we're like, we're content with kind of where we are. And we didn't want to put pressure on the system or take spots of people who felt like they really needed to be there. And and so we thought, well, you know, we really need to, I think the kids really have been wanting to go back. Um, they really, oddly, especially miss Wednesday nights. And I'm like, it's going to be a while before you get yeah. to have Wednesday nights with food and all that and if, if ever we do that again who knows that you know i think that thinking about re-entry anxiety one of those is just all the losses that you when you walk back in for me it it was a 
powerful, palpable reminder of how much we lost. Mm-hmm. Because that place is very special to us. I mean, our kids really love it there. They have so many wonderful friends and they have so many adult friends that are not their parents who love them and care for them. And they've had to be without them for over a year, you know, in any real meaningful way. And then it's it's a loss of people too that just aren't there for mm-hmm. lots of different reasons too. So I it and then you're you're in service and you're you're socially distanced in a little family pod and you're not around people and it feels weird to sing in a mask and that so you know that you, singing's the worst thing you could do. Did you guys sing? <laughs> so we did not. I mean the church did. I we okay. I didn't. I just because I know that that's I'm going to tell Jesus I know that's I know that's the the the, the most uh, conducive way of sharing, uh, you know, disease is through singing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, aerial, you know, you know, stuff that's shared through well, our, our. Besides, breath, besides feeling that sense of loss, what was it like? I mean, was your worship service structured any differently? Did you take no, a hand sanitizer break? No, no, but there was some there was some conversation this week I had with another person who talks about how uh their church have taken the online community that there was this real frustration in the church service because the uh the pastors have become so used to speaking to different cameras over the last year that they've you know to do the home the to do yeah. that, you know, the digital experience that when you're in the real person situation, um, you they're still talking to the cameras. And so the, the the people in the room feel like they're not really like there's this disconnect. Huh. And hmm. so it's a really interesting um, kind of phenomenon, I think, in some ways. Uh, so it sounds like in for you, worship. Like singing still happened, things like that. So there weren't elements of worship that were taken away for you, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, yeah. And I mean, I'm asking this because I think for some people going back to worship is going to feel so different because worship's not going to look anything close to being the same. If the choir is not singing, if congregation's not singing. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, you know, I go like to that. I go to a modern worship service, so there's not a choir. But I did think about that. Like, if you're at a traditional service and you're used to having all those people up in the up in the chancel area and the choir singing, those are things that probably won't be back for a while. And right. um, you know that that's certainly, um, you know, of course, depending on your congregation, how seriously you take this. I mean, some have gone back already, as if mm-hmm. everything is over with. So, you know, and I think that's a really hard thing. Uh, too, to, you know, that there, you know, some churches who take this very seriously and have these precautions up against these churches that we know are just not. And, and so it puts, I think it puts staff leadership in a really precarious, staff and lay leadership in really precarious situation where they feel like, you know, are we, are we sacrificing ourselves for the sake of the safety of our people? And it's like, should, you know, it just, it just really, that's a really tense kind of place. I think about people who are having to make those decisions every week. Um, I don't, thankfully we don't, we don't, I don't have to do that. Um, but I, I could see where that would be hard on church members too, 
uh, you know, some some that don't even take reservations. They don't do any spacing, and they just you just show up. Even in our community, that's the way it is. So right, it's that's a that's a challenge. I think if we zoom out a little bit from just the theology perspective, how do we think that God feels about reopening and us experiencing anxiety around reopening and maybe some hesitancy? I don't know. I felt guilty personally for feeling hesitant to go to church because I was like, we're not supposed to give up meeting together. So I should really probably do this. You know, there's just like that creeping I think guilt in the back of my mind that it's like, am I really doing what I need to be doing here? And I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think God is sitting there judging me about my physical location during a global pandemic. But the fact that I thought about it was a little bit of an interesting thing for me. Mm. I think the question is like, what is the purpose of church that I, I can't, see God being, I mean, angry at us for wrestling with very human feelings. Hmm. The church is a place to worship together and to gather in community. Um, But also, I think what the pandemic has taught us is that while I really benefit from worshiping with other people, uh, my faith can grow and be nurtured on my own as well. Um, and I need both and I like both. Um, but I don't think that God is uh, angry at us for having human feelings around uh, fear and uncertainty and things that we're milestones and markers in our lives that we're wrestling with letting go of. I mean, we're not the first people in the Bible that just have a really hard time letting go of old stuff. That's true. We did all get a very personalized desert father experience. <laughs> in the pandemic. <laughs> yep. true. Really good lesson in solitude. <laughs> I just think about going back to church for me has Always, uh, I've always gone to a fairly traditional church setting. And so we've had a lot of uh, music, large choir, all sorts of stuff. Um, so I can't imagine going back right now mm-hmm. and not having a lot of that. I think that, like Michael said, it would remind me of how much I've lost this year. And I like thinking about how loving God is for us as we're navigating relationships and shame and uh, wanting to be within community, but not knowing how to do it well. Um, You think back to even in Genesis in the beginning and Adam and Eve know that they are naked and they're embarrassed about some of their thoughts and feelings and God is still there going, I love you. And I know that these feelings are strong right now. Um, I'm going to continue to love you. Mm. Yeah. I like the way that you connected the, our human experience with that story from scripture. I feel like we have for so long been 
connected with all of the isolating parts of scripture, all the people who are on the run for their lives and lonely. And this is that moment where God is issuing invitation (laughs) and we have to figure out who we are. I have a hard time answering that question. Who am I a year later? Because when people ask me things that I did before the pandemic, I always just say, well, last year. And then I realized, no, that was two years ago. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to distinguish the passing of time this last year. And I love the analogy of being in the garden and being invited into things, but we're aware of some nakedness of our souls. (laughs) not really knowing who we are or our identities having been changed, but not been shaped by the communities that typically we allow God to change our hearts through. It's really hard. It feels like starting up a car that hasn't been cranked in a long time. <laughs> you know, how it mm-hmm. kind of sputters and stalls or, you know, maybe we let the battery die. <laughs> Personal experience, Evan? Um, for Michael. <laughs> hey, way to call me out. That was a good day. That was a good day. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think it is a confluence of all of those things. I mean, if, if I were to like sort of cap my going back experience, it's it's that incredible reminder of all that we've lost, the time, the experiences we've lost over the given year, the actual people that we've lost in our lives, um, mixed together with what is still there, you know, like the the church smells the same. I'm a really big smell person. Mm. Smell smells one of your most powerful memory senses. Um, and so I walked in and it just smelled the same. There was, so there was this sense of consistency that it was still there and it was still present. And I saw those people that we love, they're still there and they're, we're, you know, we're coming back together. We're, we're mending uh, slowly uh, what we went through. And, you know, I think, in the end, resiliency is one of those things we long for. I think that resiliency is one of those things that enables us to have healthier lives. Resilient people can withstand challenges and and trauma and um, and, and it, it builds. And I think that's what we're coming out of with this is that that we we've gone through this together. We're coming back together, and we as a people will be more resilient. Um, and maybe we'll also be wiser and for at least a little while, we'll remember what it's like to, to be more still too. Um, and I say that too, because my travel schedule has started to, you know, started to plan trips for work and those were pretty emotional to schedule because I've been home with my kids for so long and, and Emily, my wife. Uh, for so long and so consistently, the idea of getting back on the road and being away from them is a lot harder, mm-hmm. much, much harder than it was after, you know, an entire lifetime of traveling every week. So, you know, there's all kinds of weird, for me, it's just so much weird emotion. It's both, you know, loss and hope and renewal and sadness and regret and, you know, all of that mixed together and you know, everything that you do every day as as you're starting to come out of this. I I don't know if that's true for you all, but that's just kind of where I've sort of felt over the last few weeks, especially. I'm really excited about this upcoming chapter of, I am also booking some travel, now scheduling more time to see friends. Um, 
I had spent a lot of the pandemic uh, sheltering with family and um, finally came back to my own house and um, started working here again. Um, Cause it's just a lot, if you're not going to go anywhere, um, it's a lot more fun to be with other people uh, mm-hmm. than be back home and uh, just kind of isolated from the world. And I'm, I'm balancing both excitement of, about getting parts of those, that part of my life back and also really missing, already missing uh, the stillness um, and extra quality time that I had this past year that I've, I've enjoyed eating dinner at home a lot of nights. Um, I never thought that I would break that habit of eating out as much as I did meeting friends. Um, and now eating out just while it's fun, I went out to dinner with a friend the other night and we met and, um, we met for tacos and cheese dip and sat in the middle of the parking lot, which was odd unto itself, um, (laughs) having a table in the parking lot. Um, and it felt so good. And also I got home that night and I'm like, I'm glad I don't do this every night anymore. Yeah. Which was such a weird feeling to me. Um, so I'm really stuck in that tension as well, Michael, of looking back and almost mourning the things that we've had this past year that felt like a gift in some ways. It didn't feel like it initially, but did over time. Um, and also being ready to move on from that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if you guys have been doing this, but since I guess about March, I kind of my my I have a the time hop app that kind of brings up pictures and memories mm-hmm. from the year before. And uh, it's one of my favorite things to go back and just remember days. And so I've been kind of doing that with this pandemic, like, oh, the, you know, the Friday, the 13th of March was when when everything kind of hit the fan for us, you know, and mm-hmm. we were like, we were out of town and we were coming back and we stopped at a gas station and there was no toilet paper, no hand sanitizer, nothing, you know, it was just like everything was gone all of a sudden. Right. And like, I can remember going, you know, so I've been going through each of those things. Oh, you remember we had to go back to digital learning and we, there was a picture of, of, of my daughter and my son trying to do digital learning. And I kind of look back at it and like, Oh my gosh, we did that. We, <laughs> and, and it, it's, it is both that gaze of like, we got, we all, the whole world came together for a moment mm-hmm. in, in shared suffering and found a way to get through. And there's something about that that's really deeply moving for me. And it's also, I remember how scared I was too in those mm-hmm. days and how scared the whole world was about what was to come. And we knew so little, you know, we didn't know how bad it was really going to get at that time. So it, it's just, yeah, there's a, there's a, I can't, you just, I feel like every human being is kind of walking around like this boulder of experiences over the last year that they just sort of have to hold on to. And so it just, everything you do is weighted down by that experience, both, you know, in good things and bad things, but collectively it's just something you have to sort of carry with you um, through each of these re-entry moments. Well, don't you think the church as a whole is also experiencing that? Like everybody's individual re-entry anxiety, the institution itself is going through that. But it, 
doesn't articulate it in the same way, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, most of the conversations I've had with pastors over the last month is is the, you know, pastors, you can say what you want about us as a whole group, and there's plenty you can say (laughs) about us. Some days I will, I will in public admit that I'm one, uh, and other days I feel like I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> I work in, an, I know, work with nonprofits. I just, I, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that it's, it's especially in the state of we're United a compli- Methodist yeah, Church. We're a times. complicated bunch who have mm-hmm. lots of expressions um, of, of identity and theology and practice and those sorts of things. But anyway, uh, say what you want to about. Th- I believe that pastors, by and large, get into this work because we love people mm-hmm. and we want to help people have a better life, a more fulfilling life be more in touch with themselves and with each other and with their creator. That's what we did all this for. That's why we we burned the late nights, you know, at visitations and early mornings at the hospitals for prayer, like all those things. And all those things were taken away from us for over a year. Like all the things, if you could think the whole reason you did any of this, and I know many of you, we're not alone. I'm not saying pastors are alone in this, but that's all been taken away. And then the big fear that I hear from my colleagues who reach out is that the world will think we don't need them anymore because we we didn't have them for over a year and a half. We don't need pastors anymore. And these people who've given up their lives to, to follow this calling and to serve people are incredibly scared um, that all this that they they love and cherish in life is is going to somehow go through their fingers. And so trying to help them understand that there are going to be some people that may say that, but I think there's also this real keen sense of people wanting to be re- remembered, re- re-brought back together, you know, uh, as an organization and as people. And, and, and there's a lot of people carrying those boulders around that need someone to help carry that with them for a little bit. And I think there's room for us as, as, as pastors um, and others in the caring profession. I wonder how the concept of resurrection fits into all of this. Um, does how does the church resurrect post pandemic? Um, how do we, as a people, resurrect? And I don't, I don't mean. I mean, like Jesus, die and come back to life, um, kind of resurrect uh, metaphorically. Like, how do we uh, come back and rise again, both as the same but different? But what if you, what if you can't resurrect without letting something die? Mm-hmm. And it has to. It has to be. I mean, th- theologically speaking, you know, thinking uh, when, when there's, there are very certain timetables around death uh, and about burial, because the science was not nearly as it is today. So, so while you might think someone has died, uh, the science isn't that great. And, and the technology, you don't have to like actually measure brain waves and heart at that time. And so a certain, you know, three days had to pass in order for you to be dead because it was possible for you to be declared dead and actually you're not dead <laughs> and 
And so can you imagine this... if you were one of those people that like woke up? Yeah, yeah. That people I, thought was dead. Oh, right. I mean, so so there is that. We have to have that understanding that that our our we have a very technical understanding of death now. That was not the case in Jesus' uh, time, in the biblical time. And so this understanding of death, there's these these very prescribed. You know, there's a they're trying to say very specific. Lazarus died. So much so it was mm-hmm. it was stunk, you know, it was his the body was decomposing. He was for real dead. Yeah, not like dead just dead. Perceived you know? dead. <laughs> and and the same for Jesus, you know, is is buried in a tomb, it's been sealed, they come back, you know, it's it's dead dead. That's that's what's trying to be, you know, sort of communicated in those stories. And I think one of the challenges that faces the church is that we don't think we have to die to be reborn. Like we mm. want to skirt through the pain and loss yeah. and suffering. We want to avoid that because we think somehow we are exempt from that. But if if the church wants to be reborn, I think we have to let the church die. Like parts of it just need to die so that it can be reborn. And what a beautiful gift of the pandemic in a lot of ways that as churches are especially do this the most, but human beings, we also do this. We do things because we've always done them. And I think the pandemic caused many of us to put things on pause and forced us to take a break from doing things because they've always been done. And now we have to make that decision are we really going to grieve and say goodbye to that for good? Um, or are we just going to blame it on the pandemic pause and pick it right back up again, even if it's not the healthiest or best for us to be able to be reborn? It's like we all know those people who've had massive heart attacks who are generally unhealthy people. They eat unhealthily. They, they're not, they don't take care of their bodies and they have this massive heart attack. And people are, I think... By and large, people who experience heart attack usually end up in two different directions. They all of a sudden, same with like any major diagnosis, cancer, those, all those major diagnoses, is that they go, one, one says, you know what, I, I'm going to take this very seriously about my health. I'm going to change the way I, I experience death in a very palpable way. Like I saw the end of my life in my eyes and I'm, I'm going to come out of that a different person. And then there are others who just kind of skip through it and say, well, we just, it did it. I don't want to change anything. I like the way I am, you know, and I think that's, that's the risk we run coming out of something so challenging as this pandemic is if we just try to skip through the hurt and ignore the pain and the loss and just try to come out of it on the other end, I think we miss a chance to really reimagine who we are as people and who we are as a movement of, of, of believers uh, mm-hmm. And what church looks like, I, I just think that's. I, I feel like Lindsay, maybe you should, you should, you you work for the conference, so maybe you should, as and as, as a as a a mental health caretaker and and deacon, maybe you should suggest we should all do some some funerals. Like, let's just have a funeral for the church in the way it was, and and then and then we could have a celebration of rebirth and mm-hmm. resurrection after that. But I think we need to go through that process first. I think I think the idea of actually holding funerals 
uh, is a great one. I've spent a lot of time with um, pastors and others creating rituals around ambiguous loss about things that uh, we might not have had somebody die, but a dream might have died um, Mm -hmm. or reality as we knew it or certain financial security or things like that. Um, that I, I sometimes creating some sort of ritual, be it a funeral or some other way to mark that moment, lighting a candle, writing something and throwing it in the fire and watching it, um, burn and disintegrate just those moments. Um, and those specific rituals, I think really, help us grieve like a funeral would. So I had my second COVID shot this week and I felt like dog water after I got it. And I think that's a generous way to describe how I felt. So I... Both of you, it hit y'all like a ton of bricks and I had a bad headache for a couple hours and that was it. So um, I I don't know if that's the difference between being a man or a woman or uh, that's our, that's our masculinity. (laughs) Michael and I are pretty big dudes. So we've got a lot of those immune responses. Or just the fact that it just more surprises me that it seems to be coming out of nowhere of how it's affecting people. Sorry, Evan. Keep going. Yeah. I'm sure there's some causal strain there, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. So while I was laid up feeling like dog water, I, turn to one of my favorite biblical stories from the book of Lord of the Rings. And uh, it is, you didn't know that the Lord of the Rings books are official biblical canon, but they pretty much are at this point. And so I did not read them. I watched them uh, while I was laid up in bed. And I watched the extended edition, which uh, adds some length and I think that you can shoehorn almost every Christian conversation into the Lord of the Rings, but I will say this is the first time we've done it. Um, And as I'm watching the final movie, I've really found myself relating to the characters in a different way because specifically the hobbits, they start this journey. They have no idea where they're going. They talk a lot about food and there's a lot of food analogies in Lord of the Rings. So obviously it's my jam, pun intended. And not even a wry smile from the co-hosts on the jam. I'm the jam joke. So I'm just they letting go through, you keep going. They go through this journey and it changed. And my least favorite part of the movies has been the last part of the last movie where spoiler alert for Lord of the Rings, which I think the statute of limitations on spoilers for Lord of the Rings is well past. Thinking spoiler <laughs> alert. How many years has it been? So spoiler alert, if you don't know how Lord of the Rings ends, and you're going to be really upset if also, you find out. It, it's not like some people couldn't have ever read the book that was out way before then. I'm just being nice. So okay. Pause the Keep, podcast. Go ahead. Yeah. So they get to the end, and they've taken this ring, and their lives are forever changed, and the ring gets cast into this lava, and that ends. Is, is this a real ring or a figurative ring? In Lord of the Rings, it is a very real ring. Peter Jackson made sure that it was a very real ring. So anyways, the whole thing is about destroying this ring, and it gets destroyed. And then, in Return of the King, the last movie, you'd think that would be where the movie would end, right? Like, most movies, 
when the thing dramatically ends, you get like five minutes of wrap up, maybe some text about the characters. This darn movie goes on for another like 35 minutes <laughs> and it just goes through and ties up all these loose ends where they're like celebrating the end of this journey, talking about how life can't be the same. Certain people are leaving like their areas. They're changed forever. And I'm sitting there with like a fever, completely unable to regulate my body temperature where it's like 60 degrees in my room, but I'm under eight blankets and I'm sweating through all my clothes. This is a very good visual. And then I realize, oh my gosh, that's us. Like we've gone through this experience that showed up on our door. We didn't choose it. We didn't accept it. We went through this massive journey. And now the ring, you know, the, that moment that we've all been looking for where we can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel is starting to fade. And we still have problems and they still had problems. But I appreciated that like 30 minute wrap up because it, it felt like things were different. They went back home, but things had changed and they, they needed that time to have closure and I was like, oh my gosh, that is us. Like, we're going to have to have this long period of time that may seem unnecessary, but we're going to have to find some way to have some closure on this. Not to shut the book on it, right? But there needs to be more ritual around the end of this season than maybe we would normally do. Like, we're not going to have like a fourth grade graduation ceremony, give people rolled up pieces of paper and be like, congratulations, you got your pandemic diploma. Maybe it's vaccine cards. That's the thing that you get handed with a ribbon and play some music. But it was weird because the part of the movie that I hated, I mean, hated, became my favorite part of the movie because God did something in my heart in the 30 minutes that I was watching it. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of gospel in this, which obviously it's Lord of the Rings, whatever, but... I think marking that, I, I do wish that there was a way to tie up all the loose ends at the end of this pandemic. I mean, not that we're at the end, um, but some way to tie things up uh, and and create ritual um, would be really helpful. I have an idea. In the movie, okay. Ian McKellen and Hugo Weaving did a really good job tying things up. Do you think we can get Ian McKellen and Hugo Weaving on the podcast? Uh, you get like, on that. <laughs> it's possible. It's it's possible. Um, I think I think you. That's a really good way. I think of capturing what we've talked about today into some sort of a salient idea that that what we've been through is an epic journey that was forced upon us. The whole world went through it. Some are still going through it. That journey hasn't. I mean, we saw heard India, the numbers in India this week. Uh, it, or just. Just you know, talked to a friend just, who lives there, just and he said it's, un, it's un, rough. unbelievable. It's, it's un, utterly unbelievable. Um, and Brazil uh, having serious number, so it's not over. I don't want to. I don't want to say that it is, but certainly things are changing more rapidly. We're seeing now. the off We're, ramp, yeah, maybe and, from the interstate and the runaway truck ramp. <laughs> what you're what you're saying is after the when as as we conclude this expert journey. That still has some distance to go. That we still need. That we need to take the opportunity to remember what we've been through. It's sort of like the Passover, the story of the Passover. That you every every year, um, you you remember what God got us through, um, and how we were freed, and then how we persevered in the wilderness. And I think that's that's what we're looking at. I think there are some people, like the old Evan 
who might want it to skirt across tying up the loose ends. The old Evan. And just <laughs> skip You You skip too across. have changed this year, Evan. We have yeah. transformed you through this podcast. My question is, if this is a Passover event, what am I supposed to do with all the lamb's blood in my garage? And are the cops coming? <laughs> thinking, thinking about those monumental moments to wrap things up, I, um, I might have mentioned uh, to y'all offline, um, I don't think I've said it on the podcast, that uh, several neighbors got together for Easter worship and um, had worship uh, in my parents' backyard. And there were four families that got together. And as we were talking about resurrection and seeing how God works in the impossible, we sat around drinking our coffee and talking, uh, sharing each one of us what the year was like and what we wanted to remember mm. from the year. The beautiful moments where we saw God working, um, where we saw resurrection and change happening, where we experienced real fear and sadness, um, and where we saw incredible hope. And it was a powerful moment for us to get to name out loud and kind of wrap up in that way the past year. Well, I got to wait a whole nother year to do that for round two in your parents' backyard. So <laughs> you can come I'm next time. I'm just saying that, um, yeah, worship at home in the Christmas Eve was in the garage because it was uh, <laughs> raining and Easter was in the backyard. Um, and those both might be some of my two favorite worship services I've ever had in my life. I love that you celebrated Christmas in the modern stable. <laughs> we couldn't right. we couldn't gather in the driveway like normal, so we gathered in the garage. Um, no room in the driveway. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I, I hope that if anybody listening has some really great ritual ideas that you have tried oh, yeah. uh, from this past uh this past little bit to reflect back on this year um, and use that as a marker uh, to say thank you and to say farewell to those things and to sit with hope for the future. Please uh, reach out to us. Let us know. We would love to know um, some of your ideas and be able to keep sharing them with others. I would say don't let, don't let this opportunity just scoot by. Take take time wherever you are to to I think both celebrate life and what is before us, but also recognize and celebrate death for what it frees us from. And mm. allow allow parts of your old self to die so that you could be reborn. So this epic journey that we've all been on together, um, create space for you to become something new that that we can shed some of the the old burdens that we used to carry around with us and, and embrace new opportunities to be more authentic and vulnerable and real with each other and in so doing i think we we could we could have a healthier future together yeah this definitely felt like a season of great pruning 
where it wasn't like a little branch or something here in the wrong place. It was a an uprooting, relocating. It's more like event. the the moving truck ran over us as a bush, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know our little selves, our little sprigs came back out of life, and we fought our way to the sun again. And you know we're starting to get some leaves because it's spring. But it was not. I. It was not a pruning in the in any kind of gentle, loving way. It was. Yeah. It was a bad UPS. I mean, not UPS. Bad delivery driver who ran yeah. over. No specific UPS yeah, is a big sponsor of the show. So that's right. We don't want to talk bad about our sponsors. Oh, um, I think that's great. Uh, good to be with you guys today, um, and all of our listeners too. Uh, thanks for covering for the cup covering for me for the past couple of weeks and for the support and the cards of encouragement and congratulations. Those things were really meaningful to me. We are grateful that you are back and we're really proud of you, doctor. Thank you. Uh, Dr. McCord, I've been having some problems with my continuous improvement system. Do you have I don't, I don't take your insurance. <laughs> <laughs> and he's back. Oh, it's perfectly it. Great. Well, the website said you were in network, so that's why I got you on this Zoom call. But it should be good. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Justin Patton for producing this episode and doing your music. Justin, big shout out for you. You're great. We care deeply for you and are not just appreciative of your talents, although we are appreciative of those. We'll see everyone next episode as we launch into a a new segment that we'll be doing. And as always, you can like the podcast. You can leave a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. So you can message us at notalonepod on Instagram or send us a message on uh, iTunes or Spotify. And we would love to hear from you. So we will see you all next episode. Bye-bye. You guys don't want to say bye. This is where the outro music would probably be going. Bye.